you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as bad as hell, but I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? What if it's a warrior? This is the stupid answer. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zach. Woohoo! Nothing is anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chip spots. <laughs> oh, yeah. Monday, December 15th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 18-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time entertainment listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listen to the archives on stupidcancershow.org. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy, let me folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one two infusion at a time. Tonight's show, fabulous nonprofit called DoSomething.org, is featured on tonight's show. Join us as we welcome Mike Santini, the head of product, to discuss their Give a Spit about Cancer campaign, an initiative that helps young people run cheek swabbing drives to get people in their community signed up for the National Bone Marrow Registry. And a survivor spotlight on brain cancer survivor Michael Zapperstein. And a special round of applause. Kicks at our show. Good evening, Kenny. Hello. Good evening, Mallory. Hello. Sean's looking pretty on the couch. Sean is waving on the radio. How you doing? What's going on? How you been? I'm talking to you people. I'm doing well. How are you doing? <laughs> Happy Monday. Happy what? Yes, Monday. Yes, Monday. Yeah. It feels like we had a straight through weekend. We had a great weekend. We uh, hosted our first ever Stupid Cancer Meet. Stupid Cancer? <laughs> Come off the tongue right. A VIP reception for some of our key stakeholders, special supporters, and um, just, just really valuable people to the organization. Um, and thank you, Fresh Direct, for delivering our food on time. Yes, thank quite, you. Quite delicious food. Quite actually. delicious food, actually. Yeah, I'll give a presentation. There were forty people there, right? Yeah, there were quite. There were there was quite the crowd. It sounded like a real party out in the hall. Really good. And on a personal note, my mother was there. This was the first entree into the Super Cancer Universe. My dad, as we know, was the mayor of Super Cancer. But I'm really proud. She said she had a great time, and uh, it was wonderful. Really yeah. wonderful. So, who do you want up talking to, Kenny? Besides everybody, uh, the wall and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, actually, I forget uh, from from the genomic magazine. Is it Genome Magazine or Genomic? Susan McClure. Yeah. So her and her uh, photographer were very interesting. Susan McClure is one of the, um, uh, I guess, the original Rat Pack of the young adult cancer movement back in about a decade ago. She was part of the original Lipstrong Alliance. She founded Cure Media Group and Cure Magazine, and the Cure Patient Summits, which paved the way 
in the OMG Cancer Summit. Um, and she parted ways with Cure to start her own thing. But I think her magazine just won, like, Magazine of the Year for Healthcare, something really incredible and well-deserved. Geno Magazine. Geno Magazine, yeah. They just won, like, number one magazine in their in the sector, which is a really big deal. So I'm glad she came. It was really nice. Now, this is your first sort of foray into the leadership promenade deck of what we're doing. Yes, it was It was definitely a interesting experience. Got to meet a lot of interesting people, and it was a good time. Was, really good was she time. previously on the Lido deck? Yeah, you were on the Lido deck. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be confused with the veranda. Veranda, yes, exactly. I feel like you have to be on a carnival cruise line to really appreciate the... Reference. Have you been on a carnival cruise line? I have, yeah. When it, it tells, it kind of yells at you. Much like the Queen before the show, it tells you, the veranda. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Get your ass to the dining room now. Yes. That's what the cruise ships say. Yes. So anyway, we had a really exciting last week after the show. Tuesday night was the Chasing Life Christmas holiday special, even though it took place in May on the show. Yes, they had Christmas in May. It was great. Yes. Lots of drama. Yes. Did you watch it? I watched it live on the iPad app. Yes. Yes. It was It was definitely a good Christmas special, even though it took place in May in their timeline. Uh, picked up right where they left off in their season one, part A finale. Season one, part A. Yes. Like midterm finale. They're coming back when January 19th? January 19th. On I, Mondays. Yes. Switch to Mondays. Yep. So they're competing with, no, no, we, we end at eight. We end at nine. They start at nine. So we're going to end our show with like, don't forget Chasing Life now. Yeah, you can go back to back. For those who listen live. It's a Cancer Monday night lineup. <laughs> yes, exactly. Must see chemo TV. Yes. Anyway, um, I was really interested in the fact that it would seem all right. So some of the feedback, and we have our guest chime in later in the show about this. Um, people didn't like the show because they didn't think she looked dying enough, and you know you, she didn't look like she was dying enough. She wasn't thin. She didn't lose her hair. On this show, she lost her hair. She got thin. She's starting to look weak. And we're going to pick up on season one, part two, and clearly that trend is going to happen. And it was so interesting to see the comments on Facebook, like, finally, a show I can relate to. But, like, it also opened up this incredible debate around you don't have to look sick to be sick. And I, I would, I don't know if this is a devil's advocate or anything else, but would a cancer survivor really want to play that role? No, no, I'm saying it, it's not about the, the characters, not about April Carver. The people on our forums and on Facebook who are discussing this started this really heated debate about I went through this and I didn't look sick. So it's okay for me to relate to this character because she doesn't have to look sick, but it's almost like it served a double purpose because now she does look sick. So it's filling the gap of all the haters initially who are like, but she doesn't look sick, and now she physically looks sick. So it was just really a fascinating sort of anthropologic insight, like how does pop culture factor into the perception of cancer? Yeah. Which I found really interesting. And uh, we um, want to just remind people again about the CancerCon VIP Club. Um, Sean, you're welcome to just pop up to the mic and say hello um, and uh, talk. About Sean Shapiro, our Director of Development, who is in charge of uh, helping to fundraise for the organization. What is the CancerCon VIP Club? Hey, guys, this is the first time I've spoken into this without my own headphones on, so I can't... You sound great. Do I? Yeah? Yes, you sound right. great. Um, well, yeah, uh, VIP Club is a amazing way to get involved with the success of CancerCon. Uh, we are fundraising to make it possible and to make it bigger and better. 
And so um, we raised what eight thousand dollars so far. I think we're over almost ten now. 12. Over almost twelve. Eleven eight. We've raised five thousand since last week. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So our goal of one hundred billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's competitive. It's fun. Um, you get to win a cool award if you're the top fundraiser. Get honored on stage. Get a cool trophy. Uh, but yes, you can earn travel reimbursement. Uh, free registration for CancerCon, um, and if those don't matter to you, um, it is doing it for a good cause. The money is very uh, tangibly spent on programs throughout the year, um, and all of the resources and services we provide for the young adult cancer community, um, that's what you're fundraising for. So um, if you want to learn more, cancercon.org, or reach out to me at ss at stupidcancer.org. There you go. The great Sean Shapiro. That's the word. I dropped the mic. Yeah, a great shot here. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> I should also mention that I'm on um, the Triple Z. I'm on uh, Zithermax, uh, Zyrtec, and Zycam, as I've been uh, dealing with the fact that I have children. And as a uh, product of being a parent of young children, uh, you tend to inherit the diseases they get inflicted by by their sick classmates, which is always exciting. So I'm putting out a call to the Internet here. I'm uh, going to put this on Facebook later, but I'm looking for that Western medicine has clearly failed me. Uh, so I, I'm looking for a homeopathic, kale-based, ohm-inspired, karma-inducing natural remedy to whatever it is that is actually inflicting me. So uh, posts on my wall. Uh, it is uh, facebook.com slash Matthew Zachary. If you have any magical ingredients that I should throw in a cauldron, cook, bake, and ingest through some orifice, any orifice, I will put oh that live out there on the air. <laughs> We're going down here <laughs> real fast. Oh, boy. All right. On that note, our Survivor Spotlight tonight is Mike Zapperstein, diagnosed with grade 3 anaplastic astrocytoma. We'll find out about what the hell that is. In his right frontal lobe, presumably in the brain, at 32 in November of 2009, despite no symptoms, he recently celebrated his five-year anniversary. Mike is also an accomplished competitive bowler. we got to put him against Paul Berman. With six perfect games in a row to his credit, six three hundred. Not in a row. Not in a row. All right, I oversold you. I oversold you. All right, well, six perfect games to his credit. Mike Zapperstein. Thank you. We Good to be here. Right. So we have a volunteer who's very active with our organization okay. named Paul Bourbon, who himself is a okay. – actually, he is the only guy that brought his own bowling ball to Las Vegas. Oh, I would have done that. 2014. I done that. Yeah, because mm-hmm. we had a bowling night pre-con for the, for the conference with 90 people. Mm-hmm. Brought us on bowling well on the airplane through TSA and everything. So, all right, so we need to have a bowl off. Okay. All right, I'm I'm gonna organize that. I will do that. All right, we're gonna put a call call out to to, to Paul Berman for a bowl off. Sounds great. All right, so all right, so 2009, a long time ago, five years ago. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Um, so asymptomatic brain tumors. I wouldn't know anything about that. Yes. Oh, actually, like, we had the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. Pretty much, pretty much the same thing. Uh, so obviously no symptoms, but what were you doing that actually said, hmm, I should probably not keep ignoring something, maybe? No, I actually, actually what happened was um, I was off of work at the time, and I went to play golf with a good friend of mine in North Carolina, and uh, it was very rainy out, and I fell because it was muddy. It didn't have anything to do with the tumor. I was clumsy, and I fell. So no problem. You know, I got up, shook it off, continued the horrible round. And when I got home, I was sitting in front of the computer two days later, and I noticed what I thought was a, a floater in my eye. Oh, I hate those things. So you know, I talked to my mother about it, and she said, don't, floaters don't really mean anything. They're not dangerous. But you, know, you hadn't gone 
you don't you have the time. You hadn't gone to get your eyes checked in a while. Why don't you just go get your routine check and ask? And that was that. I went for my routine check and I Wouldn't went in. Did you go to an ophthalmologist or an ophthalmologist? Okay. Yes. I went in look, with it, looking for a new glasses prescription and I <laughs> left going to the ER. So lens crafters just went out the door that day. <laughs> yeah, this this was like a real ophthalmologist in his office. So maybe that helped him to see what was going on, but. He, so he saw it right through your retina and, and immediately saw... He saw my inflamed optic nerves. And that was a trigger. And he said, go directly to the ER. And you had an MRI there? I had a CT, a CT right there. Right. And I had my various neurological tests, which were all fine. Right. And then they dropped the bomb. It's like the the, uh, the, the drunk driving test, but you're not drunk or driving in the hospital. Touch your nose, look up and down. They yeah. dropped the bomb on me right Brain from a large... Five centimeter right in the right frontal lobe. Right. And I had to stay overnight to get an MRI the next day to determine how bad it was. Right. Yeah. That was probably horrible. Hmm? <laughs> probably horrible. Yes. Worst day ever. I think it was probably more horrible for my parents who were there than me. Well, yeah, so let, let's talk about that. You were single, living on your own, have a job, doing your thing. Right. And then mom, dad, I have a brain tumor. Well, what I did was, uh, at the eye doctor, I called them. Like, the eye doctor sent me to the ER. Can you meet me there? Oh, God. So they drove about an hour right. right there. And it was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to make you relive it, but... No, 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 no. It's, yeah. it's okay. It's all right. I've relived it enough. It's, right. It doesn't really phase me anymore. And that so, started the whole ordeal from that point. So, I mean, brain tumors bring with them their own unique sets of craziness and outcomes and surgery and right. chemo. Like, it's a whole lot... I try not to pigeonhole different cancers by better or worse, but it's like it's your brain. I had it. You know, I get it. Um, what was the conversation like with the doctors? You're so young. Had they ever even seen somebody your age with a brain tumor? Uh, I found out later they generally don't see this type of tumor in people over 18 or under 50. Right. So I fit right in the Congratulations. They also don't see them asymptomatic. Right. So it was kind of an unusual situation. So you are... Um, I would say your cancer prevention strategy was just being clumsy at golf. Right. Or I would say, which I do routinely, is get my routine exams. Right. Just common checkups. and. So you are inherently a sort of a proactive health person. Yes. It's I don't look healthy, but <laughs> proactively, I, I make sure. For the sake of radio, there. you're a pretty handsome guy. I got to say. You're doing, right. look like you, yeah, you're doing something right. Yeah. yeah. I used to wear glasses too, so I, I, yeah, <laughs> doppelgangers here. Mm -hmm. um, nice Jewish boys from New York City. Well, New Jersey. Jersey. Right, Jersey. You Close enough. Yes, exactly. Uh, all right, so clearly, shock to the system. Your parents freaked out. Did they stay overnight? Did they? Well, the hospital was about 10 minutes from where I lived. So right. they stayed overnight at my apartment. Right. I had to stay overnight at the hospital getting shot up with steroids all night, which I don't know if you had to deal with the steroids. Oh, yeah. It's the most horrible part of the whole thing. Decatron? Yes. Mm -hmm. Worst thing ever. It's terrible. So it I, did make the symptoms go away that I had that you didn't have, but yeah. still, it's still horrible. But it all it also took my taste away. Oh yeah, it gave me reflux. Taste is overrated. I got to tell you, reflux. But I still gained weight and yeah. gained taste. But anyway, I gained forty pounds in three months. Yeah, <laughs> I gained actually nothing for the steroids. Well, you sucked. Yeah. All right. But anyway, <laughs> so um, I had an MRI at about seven o'clock in the morning the next day, and uh, and how soon after was the surgery? Did they well, rush you right in? You had the weight? No, or? no. I had the MRI that morning at 7. My parents come about 9. It took till about 5 o'clock for the doctor to come back. Oh. 
So a long day. So we're all freaking out long day. at that point. Yeah, and he said, you know, I have good news and bad news. Good news is it's not a stage four glioblastoma, which is the worst. Yeah. But he said it is cancerous and it's a stage three astrocytoma. Right. Mm-hmm. So what he ended up doing was he ended up referring me, my name down to a surgeon at University of Pennsylvania. Right. Who, whose office called me about two days later. Which is a little unusual. They don't usually need to call people. That's probably a bad sign. Well, they got they had me in for an appointment. This was Tuesday. They had me in on Friday right. for an appointment. And so I met with the surgeon there, and uh, he was extremely confident. He did a couple hundred of these a year. He that's said, the right. That's the right number. He said, <laughs> like Doctor Nick from The Simpsons. Hi everybody. He said my first surgery. Exactly what was going to happen. Exactly what complications I would have short term, and he told me I would have none long term. And uh, he gave me two options. This was uh, the week. This was the Friday before Thanksgiving. He said we can either do it Monday, or we can do it the Monday after Thanksgiving. So I chose the Monday after Thanksgiving. Although, in hindsight, I probably would have chosen the following Monday. Right. It's not a great week of sitting around no. thinking about this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, for me, and I can relate to this very closely. I, I had a window of two and a half weeks between. You need, like, massive brain surgery. And, oh, wait, we can't do this till January 10th. <laughs> so I had to go through Hanukkah and Christmas and New Year's and, like, all these happy times, most wonderful times. Yeah, go to hell. Yeah. yeah. So, so know, how long was your surgical procedure? Three hours, approximately three to five hours. So, like, in and out burger. <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. Except a little different. Except they took the burger out. Yeah. That's <clears throat> the out right. burger part. No collateral damage, very acute, encapsulated, mm. operable. They leave some stuff behind. Well, margins. They, they said it was generally, it wasn't encapsulated. Right. But it was generally a large ball. Right. However, they say because of the nature of the brain, it can grow fingers. Yep, spider veins. Yeah, so yeah. Um, they got the bulk of it, and then I had uh, radiation, 33 days of radiation, and I went on Temidar for about a year in varying doses. Do you remember the, the so? The radiation was cranial or craniospinal? Cranial. Cranial, okay. Yeah, IMRT, radiation. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very really similar to me. I mean, there was no Temidar when I was diagnosed, so there was no chemotherapy that broke the blood-brain barrier. I'm right. sure they talk to you all about oh, yeah, yeah. the uniqueness of chemotherapy. But I did have radiation to my spine, but I did have 33 treatments. That's interesting. About 15 minutes a day. Well, back then it was an hour and a half a day. Because the technology was basically gerbils on a wheel, you know, moving <laughs> things around. You know, we were like 1996 was pretty much like Nintendo 64 days. You know, basically Sega Genesis had just ended. That's the technology we were at back then. So, you know, not really that fabulous in terms of. Did they have to blow on your cartridge? They did. They really did. (laughs) Yeah, to get the damn thing Mm -hmm. to work. It was terrible. I mean, I I forgive the 90s for sucking for timing and whatever, but it's exciting to know it's only. Well, I will say the radiation is no problem. It was. I didn't have any problems with it. Yeah. It was easy. Right. Uh, my parents, I loved them so much. They drove out from the shore an hour to me and then drove me 45 more minutes out every day to get the radiation done. Wow. So We do have crazily stories. I owe it to them. Yeah. My dad drove me to radiation every day for 33 days. Yeah. You know? Wow. Yeah. There we go. It made it, made it, it, made it easier. Are you sure we're not related? Uh, yeah. kind of look like yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, exactly. Post That's it fascinating. Facebook. All right, so let's talk short-term issues. Let's talk long-term issues, fertility, insurance, all the young adult stuff that we like okay. to encapsulate, pun intended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, short-term issue, really, 
I was only supposed to have some slight weakness in my left leg after surgery. Right. Um, that's because of right side tumor, mm-hmm. left side problems. That sort of happened. It wasn't that bad, but I had a, a complication where for a little while, my leg would stop working properly. It would fail, almost like turn into jelly. Oh, wow. But as it turns out, that really wasn't necessarily a problem with the surgery. That was a complication related to a salt deficiency I had. Wait, um, salt can do that? Yes. Um, it was something called SIADH. Uh, tight? Yeah. It's syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone hypersecretion. Wow. <laughs> that could possibly be, and I guarantee it is, the first time those words have ever been uttered in a straight line on this show. So <laughs> basically what happens is you, you sometimes with brain injury and brain surgery, your brain temporarily loses its ability to regulate sodium in the blood. Mm-hmm. Sodium is extremely important in the blood. Right. Uh, if you have low sodium levels, you can have seizures, you can go into a coma, and you can die right. from it. And uh, was that all? Yeah, just that. <laughs> that's it. That's it. You know, that's that. It kind of like puts the cancer in the back burner yeah. at that point. Right. Right. So, uh, what happened was, I was told to take sodium supplements. It's actually a pill, prescription pill for sodium. That pill was extremely difficult to find. Really? We could not find it. Why not? It'll make it. Eight pharmacies that we tried didn't have it. Have you tried eating McDonald's? As it turns out, <laughs> the pharmacy at Penn had it, which they never told us. Oh. So what happened was, you know, I was supposed to go home. I went home in about three days after surgery. I was supposed to go home and get strong and better, and I didn't. I went home and I got weaker and weaker and weaker. And it's funny, my father just thought I was being lazy, right. not walking. Mm-hmm. I could not, couldn't get off the couch after a while. Right. It was just getting weaker and weaker and weaker. So he takes me to get a stat sodium at right. a lab corp, and I could barely stand at that point. Right. And doctor says, you got to come in. Yeah. He says you have to come in for an MRI because maybe he had suspected a stroke or something else. Or like it came back. I'm sure that was incredibly scary. Very, at that point, I don't know if I was very much conscious. I right. remember being in a wheelchair in his office, and yeah. that's about it. And uh, I remember him saying, the sodium is very low. MRI is okay, but we have to check you in for a tune-up. Oh, boy. I'll on the lift? I'll never, I'll never forget those words because that was 10 days in the hospital. You spent 10 days in the hospital getting, like, rehydrated with saline and sodium and all that? Well, the process is you get dehydrated. You right. Get, you limited, limited fluid intake and pumped full of salt. Wow. Very uncomfortable. I would imagine. Must make you thirsty. That, that 10... <laughs> it, it turns you into beef jerky is what it does. Oh, wow. You have no moisture in your body, and what it does is they have to get your body to fix itself. Right. And then you have to be able to regulate yourself with full fluid for two days. Wow. And then you can go home. And has that been, was that like, and then you're done? Once it was over, it was done. Wow. And, uh. Like, they basically rebooted you. Right. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was very, very difficult. That was more difficult than anything else in the process. Before or since. Right. Is that 10 days? Wow. Yeah. And that was five years ago, roughly. That was five years ago. So I assume you go for post-operative scans and checkups, and you've become even probably more proactive in your awareness of your health. Eight months. I'll be every eight months for the rest of my life. Every eight months for the rest of your life. Right. That might change. They told me that, too, and 20 years later, they're like, go home. But I'm okay with that, (laughs) honestly, because I don't want anything, God forbid, to come back and get out of control. Right. So... I'll fly back to Philly 
every right. eight months for the rest of my life if I don't live near there. So well, good, good for you. Yeah. So any outside of that, I mean, obviously I mentioned brain no. tumors are, you know, you're relatively unscathed. I have no lasting effect from it. That's extraordinary. Yeah. That's truly a blessing. Miracle. It's unbelievable. That. Yeah. A lot of things had to fall into place for that to happen. And I had to get the right team of doctors, yeah. too. You know, one of the things they told me, and again, this is completely anecdotal, was uh, my, my tumor, I was born with my brain tumor. Really? It, it typically presents symptomatically before the age of eight. Okay. So the fact that it was dormant in my head until I was 21 made it a slightly different pathology than as if it were in my head and diagnosed at age eight or under. And they, you know, completely spitballing these things out there because there's no data to support any of this, that the fact that you were older with a tumor that should have happened when you were younger or very old might have been the factor that contributed to you having better outcomes. There's no science behind that, but if you are the rarity and this is the rare outcome, it could be possible. Well, they did also say that age and attitude are the two things that help you recover better. You seem to be a pretty positive guy. I was. I was. I was. I, I, well, I never, Until I met me. I yeah. never, ever, ever thought I wasn't going to beat it right. in the first minute. Right. So, and some people have told me I was the one who helped them through it. Really? Even though I was the one dealing with it, it seemed I was the strong one and helped them through it. Do you but, think that was like a blind ignorance or like you were truly convinced that somehow this was all going to work I out? I was. And some people say that's when you find out how strong you are. Right. When you get thrown the biggest curveball you're ever going to get thrown in your life. So maybe that's what happened. Or maybe somebody was looking out for me from above. Right. Well, I, I would say the yeah. single most important thing at this point right now is, are you still golfing? Well, I was horrible golfing. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not, but it has nothing to do with that. It okay. has to do with the fact that I should have never been golfing to begin with. <laughs> okay. So Stick the bowling. Yeah. What you've been doing since, for how long? 20... <laughs> Serious, like competitively, probably 20 to 25 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. impressive. So you bowled six 300s. Right. In not, not in a row. If I, <laughs> I'd be world famous if I bowled in a row. But, yeah, I bowled six. I bowled. I actually had an article written about me because I bowled one of them about four months after I ended my chemo. Wow. Yeah. Actually, after I ended my radiation, not even ended my chemo. That's incredible. Yeah. So did that – were you messed up at all at any point? In, that's I was, a lot of art. I'll tell you what. I was – it was pretty sad when I started coming back. I was weak, right. and I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. It felt, it actually felt like I forgot how to do it. Was bowling to you like an anchor, something you could you could weigh against, like how progressed far you've come? Maybe now that you mentioned that, I wasn't thinking it at the time, but, but yeah. But that sounds like your passion. It's something I love doing. It. Yeah, travel is really my passion, but I love to bowl. So. Right. Where have you gone? What's your favorite place to go? Where, where, where did you, where was the first place you went to celebrate not being, you know, lacking salt, per se? Well, after that, after my ordeal, the first place I went was Aruba. Why is that? Because I had been there a whole bunch of times, and a friend of mine wanted to go, so I went. I love Aruba. I've been there twice. Love Penny it. is going to Aruba. Any recommendations? I think, I think this is that was eight for me. Eight times. You've been to Aruba eight times. Yes, I can definitely recommend some. Places. I think the recommendation is to go to Aruba. Well, yeah, every everybody who goes to Aruba loves Aruba. I had nothing but my wife and I went there twice. Amazing yes. time. Um, we stayed at the height the first time, the marriage the second time. We rented a jeep to the beach sand to yep. play to the tire. I'm giving Kenny all the yeah the, the photos. I'll, I'll shoot him an email. Yeah, the show. It's gonna be great. And besides for that, Hong Kong was the other place I loved going the most. Oh really? Yeah. Well, you are truly an example of someone who gets busy living, and I, I really commend you for that. What's your um? 
So what, what's your message? I, I don't know how often you speak or have spoken I, to a I, medical I patients. We I want to get you, you near the stage, my friend. I, uh, well, I, I'm a member of something called Immerman Angels. Yes. And I've gotten two in about three years, okay. two people. So I enjoy doing that. My message is to keep up with your regular doctor's appointments. So to just be proactive. Yes. Well, it's a good segue to our, our second segment right. here about, you know, being conscious of other people's health as a tie into your own personal health, right. and we can discuss that during the second segment. But i got to tell you that it's eerie how you and I have – I mean, it's a decade apart or 15 years apart, yeah. but it's eerie. It was eerie when we were talking by email. I know. Too. Definitely. It's crazy yeah. eerie. I congratulate you. Well, really, thank you. Really. It's good to be here. Do you blog? Do you write? Do you have any channel? No. To, you, you need, all right, so I'm going to get – we're going to get you we'll, some we'll platform here. Yeah. Stupidtumor.org. Stupid Astro. <laughs> Stupid Astro. Stupid Astro. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because that's the... That <laughs> sounds the, like an indie band. <laughs> we'll check the uh, Spotify playlist for those guys. <laughs> hey, I just had a relevant millennial, you know, something. Okay, you and I just failed. <laughs> I totally failed at that. Trying. Well, anyway, Michael Saperstein, thank you so much. Thank a you. five-year survivor of uh, Astro... Cytoma? Anaplastic. Anaplastic. Stage three. Yes. Not stage four glioblastoma. No. All right, well, thank you so much. And you're sticking around, so you can chime yeah, in at any time. Okay. All right, Kenny, let's set up the news Hello, here. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.supercancer.org. That is events.supercancer.org. You're a one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events happening nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods. We certainly don't want you missing out. Are you drunk? What's going on? Yes, I'm slurring my speech. <laughs> As it stands right now, we have Houston, Texas, and there's another one coming up. I forget the city, but it will be published shortly at events.supercancer.org. And if you'd like to host your own Stupid Cancer Meetup, visit stupidcancer.org slash meetup. Cancer is lonely. We've got a cure for that. It's Instapeer, our free mobile app that brings instant anonymous one-to-one peer support for anyone affected by cancer, including caregivers, family members, and friends. Visit instapeer.org and sign up to join our iOS beta testing community and consider immortalizing yourself on the app with a nonprofit tax-deductible donation of $500. We launched a newsfeed aggregator on Pinterest for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer is expensive. We're proud to announce a uh, alliance with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. It's called cancermademebroke.com. You didn't ask to get sick, and your community actually wants to help you. Visit cancermademebroke.com today to learn more and start your personal fundraiser. It's always a good time to stock up on your stupid cancer gear. Visit stupidcancerstore.org anytime. Stay nice and warm with all new products and costs to choose from. Be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And that is your Stupid Stupid Cancer News. All righty. I'm really excited. It is a really great tie-in. Mike Fantini is joining us live today. who lives in Brooklyn, head of product at dosomething.org, one of my favorite nonprofits in the universe. Uh, He became a bone marrow donor through their program called Give a Spit about cancer, and he's here tonight to tell us about it, the pitfalls, the successes, and all the wonderful stuff they're doing to mobilize youth with this really important initiative. Please welcome Mike Fantini, live in studio. Good evening, my friend. Good evening. You are joined by your um, partner in crime here, Annie. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi there. Um, Do something.org. What is it? 
yeah, so DoSome.org is an organization that helps young people take action on really any cause that you can think of. Um, to date, we have about 3.2 million people across the world uh, who take part in our various campaigns. Um, and they can really be about anything, whether it's uh, helping people who are suffering from homelessness, um, you know, people who are, uh, you know, getting involved in the environment. Um, and also we have a few campaigns uh, for cancer patients and survivors as well. Yeah, and uh, Nancy Lublin is your chief old person. I yeah, that's her title. Uh, I've known CEO her for, and chief old person. I, I've title. known her for quite a while now. And I've really taken a lot of cues from how you've been able to mobilize youth. Uh, the denim days is something that I've always found to be most interesting. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so we're actually running that campaign right now. It's called uh, Teens for Jeans. Um, and one in three homeless people in the U.S. are actually under the age of 18. Um, so, you know, really like, born into poverty. Um, and the number one thing they ask for when they go to a youth homeless shelter, um, it's not food, it's not, uh, you know, necessarily uh, various supplies, it's actually a pair of jeans. Wow. Um, yeah, because so often, you know, they're still going to school and want to feel like everyday kids and, you know, act as if everything is normal because it should be. Um, and so what we do is we actually ask people to run these massive gene drives uh, in their community. Um, and they drop them off at their local Aeropostel store. Uh, it's a very, you know, easy uh, drop-off location for, for all of our members. And, uh, and yeah, and so last year we collected over 800,000 pairs of jeans. Um, wow. Yeah, and goal this year is uh, to, hit, to hit a million. That's extraordinary. So, so how do you rally youth? Obviously, you know, millennials get a bad rap. They're not even supposed to be called millennials anymore, yeah. as I'm reading, right? It's like a bad word now to call mm -hmm. them millennials. Mm -hmm. so, so, you know, selectivism and they don't want to do anything, but you guys have proven that completely wrong. Can you talk about your perceptions or the misperceptions of this massively mobile and engaged community? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I totally agree with you that I think millennials have gotten a, a very better app being a millennial myself. Uh, but, you know, we do know that actually young people... Uh, you know, they care about cause more than any other generation before them. Uh, the real issue has just been finding uh, an avenue through which to take action. Um, so that's really where Do Something comes in. We really try to make it as easy as possible so that someone can, you know, just access us uh, via the web and kind of have a step-by-step -step playbook on how to make a real impact in their community. Um, because, you know, they really just need sort of like that step-by-step -step guide because uh, so often there's, you know, just various initiatives out there that either don't make a real impact or feel like a monumental lift. Uh, we're not looking for anyone to, you know, cure cancer or to right. end poverty, but really just make a local impact. Um, that's really what it's all about. Right, and you guys are really good at measuring that impact, too. Like 800,000 genes. Are you able to connect the people that donate the genes with the youth hostile teams that get the genes? Um, yeah, so we, we keep all the solutions local. Um, so every donation uh, goes to uh, a, a shelter um, within the area um, of that Aeropostel store. Um, and then, you know, for privacy concerns, we can't necessarily connect them one-to-one, -one, but a lot of times we've actually had individuals who have uh, won a grant um, because of taking part in one of our campaigns, and they've actually then taken the money and donated it to a, a local shelter um, because, you know, they're just like, you know, they just have so much good. They just constantly want to help. Don't want any focus on them just to be on the call. Right, and this isn't about fundraising either. This is really mobilizing a community for action. Yes, yeah, so that's actually one of our rules. Um, none of our campaigns can require money, an adult, or a car, uh, because we really want young people to feel like you know, they have the power completely um, within themselves. Uh, and so that's what a lot of our cancer initiatives um, are about as well, because you know, so often uh, taking action on cancer is generally thought of as fundraising. Um, but, you know, if you're 15, 16, 18, you don't necessarily, and that's a very great cause, um, but yeah. if you're you know, 15, 16, 18, you don't necessarily have, you know, loose change to donate to a very right. good cause. 
Um, so that's where you know we came up with the idea of uh, give a spit about cancer. Um, so basically, it was a different means for a young person to get involved. Um, so what give a spit's about is actually um, getting signed up for the National Bone Route Registry. Um, and to do that, uh, we actually provide you with a kit that you can just swab your cheek with cotton swab. Um, it takes about 30 seconds to do. Um, and then you're actually able to send it in uh, to then get signed up. And so what we've had in the past since 2011 um, is actually have people run these drives in their community, whether they want to, you know, get their whole school involved, their college, their, you know, church, whatever it is, um, and, and get, you know, tons of people signed up, um, or if they just want to do it individually. If you just, you yourself, you and your friends want to get signed up, uh, you can do that as well. Well, we have done uh, many, many shows and many, many um, swab drives in partnership with the NMDP mm-hmm. and uh, DKMS and, and um, the whole, uh, what's, what's that campaign called? Um, I'm totally missing out. There's a, do you know what the, it's the, the Be the match. Be the match. Yep. Thank you. Yes. I'm sorry about that, guys. <laughs> listening. Um, they've exhibited at our events. We've done stuff together. And it's so critical because I, I just think it's, you know, I don't have the data on how many matches are made and how many of those actually get contributed to lives saved. They have the data. So go to be the match.org and find out all the information that I don't have. But, you know, this is something that really impacts youth a lot. And a lot of the cancers that happen in youth are typically blood cancers, mm-hmm. which is the dominant cancer in youth. For some reason, that's just how it works. Everyone thinks that all cancers happen all the time. There's an amazing arc of testicular cancer sort of peaks in the late 20s and goes away, and it comes back in the 60s. Blood cancers are the ones that are in the most need of marrow donors and marrow swaps and, and marrow transplants. So um, you are directly impacting the young adult cancer community in itself. Yeah, and actually, uh, not only the the young adult community um, who is who has cancer, but also uh, people within the age of 18 to 24 are actually the kind of number one targets to get swabbed, right? Um, because they have the most likelihood of actually being a match that then goes on to uh, you know kind of cure the recipients. Sure. Um, so yeah, and actually, people who uh, who are need in or sorry, or who are in need of a donation, actually 70% of them um, end up getting a donation. There's 70%. Uh, end up getting a donation from someone that they don't know. So they actually do rely on the registry. Um, so getting more and more people signed up, especially in that target, uh, you know, really college-age demo, um, is really what it's about. So I'd love you to talk about the stigma, because this is something that has been an issue. It's not about getting people to come out to do something, but attended, but they do want to come out. But there is an inherent stigma, and I'd like to know if it's still there or if it's worse or better, that people don't really understand what's involved if they get selected. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and that was really a big thing that we've been trying to debunk because, you know, oftentimes people are hesitant to get signed up because they think that even getting signed up is going to be painful. Right. Um, getting signed up is literally taking a cotton swab and putting it in your mouth. Right. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly no pain there. Um, and then actually after uh, I had been notified um, that I was a potential match, um, I went and filled out, you know, a, right. We should a, add that you were a match. Yes. Yeah. yeah you yeah, did yeah. it. You yeah, were yeah, a match. Yeah. So not just representing you something. Um, I actually, when we first launched the campaign in 2011, um, we did a cheek swabbing in my office and, uh, you know, I was, you know, signed up for the registry. Um, two years later, I was contacted as being a potential match, um, you know, filled out a quick, uh, health, health survey, um, you know, family history, all of that. Um, and then had gotten some blood work just to, you know, verify, extra check um, to see if I was kind of the ideal match. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, within a month, uh, got back to me that, you know, I was in fact 
a perfect match um, for a uh, 10-year-old at the time wow. um, who uh, was suffering from uh, ALL. Um, Acute lymphoblastic leukemia, yeah. the most common blood cancer in children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and actually, his cancer, uh, I later found out, um, had shifted from ALL to central nervous system uh, leukemia, and then finally uh, had gone to testicular leukemia. Right, so um, he had full metastases from the ALL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were a biological perfect match. Yeah, yeah, actually matched on all 10, uh, 10 matches, and the, or 10 marks, markers, and then uh, they even d- tested for an additional two, um, and I was a perfect match for that as well. Right, and we should add that matching is very nuanced. Mm-hmm. you talk about that? Um, yeah, I actually, uh, you know, and that's one of the great things actually about, you know, kind of do something, um, and, you know, being able to get up and, uh, signed up and get involved is, uh, you know, I didn't really know too much about the, the whole process or procedure, um, going into it. I just knew that, you know, if I was able to help someone, um, in need that, you know, I wanted to do it like so many of our other young people out there. Um, but yeah, but basically, um, just by, you know, uh, looking into, you know, all the various things that they get from both of your, uh, your saliva that they check for and also the blood, they're able to see um, basically the various markers that they have that indicate that, you know, the, uh, the patient uh, or the recipient will be able to take in your bone marrow and will actually accept um, your cells. Um, because, you know, sometimes there can be a situation where the host rejects the cells, so that's why they check all these various markers. I want to ask Ani a question. You also donated you joined the, the Give a Bed campaign. Yeah, so did, I find Did you have reservations? What, as a layperson, what was your first thought going into this? Um, it was so easy. It was really crazy. We, um, I went to Mike's holiday party last year at Do Something, and at the office they just had people from Be The Match who were just set up in a room, and you walked in, they give you a Q-tip, you put it in your mouth, you give it back to them, and that was it. It like, took all of five seconds. Right. Um and so that was a year ago. And then since then, I've gotten one email because I was a a backup match right. for someone. And then I guess I ended up going with the, the person who was the better match. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's so easy. And I was with Mike when he got the operation. Uh, well, let's um, talk about that. Practically, mm-hmm. you, if you match, you have to do something, like for real do something. What does that do something that you have to do? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so after I filled out the you know, questionnaire and got the additional blood work, um, they're then like, okay, this is, you know, as long as you're healthy enough, we're going to be good to go. Um, so I had a, you know, a physical to make sure that everything was going to be fine with me for actually physically going through the donation. Um, and once that checked out, uh, you know, I was all set to go. So you know, there was really very little prep. Um, you know, it was literally just, you know, kind of the standard, you can't eat or drink before midnight, the night of the surgery. Right. Um, you know, kind of like prepping the, the area. They actually take um, the bone marrow from the back of your pelvis. Um, so it's just like using a scrub there for yeah. about three or four days beforehand. Obviously, you know, very simple. <laughs> um, and, then, uh, and then, yeah, you know, just woke up, drove myself, uh, you know, with Ani um, and actually two people from Do Something um, to the, the hospital. Um, you know, they outpatient procedure, outpatient procedure. Um, yeah, you know, the biggest risk was kind of the standard surgical risk of anesthesia. Right. Um, but you know, obviously nowadays very low. Um, and yeah, completely outpatient, you know, and the the big stigma that you hear is that, you know, it's a very painful process. Um, you know, the, you're going to be in pain for, you know, a few days. 
Um, my uh, personal experience was when we first get, got out of surgery, I was, you know, obviously very out of it still. Um, you know, the anesthesia hadn't fully uh, worn off. Um, and I do remember at that one moment for a split second feeling pain. I told the nurse that, and then they just, you know, gave me pain medication, and I was completely fine. Right. And then from then on, I was taking Tylenol. I wasn't even taking. Like it's worth it. Oh, like that's the not, tag not like, even be like, the match worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not even a question. Like the the pain, I've been more sore by having a workout at the gym than actually going to. Or the like my golfing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not a good golfer either, and I've never bowled 300. So you have the athletic. You haven't shot six made. in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't even. I've yeah. I've so what about in six scatter balls? In so pragmatically, insurance. Who pays for this? Yeah, so it's all covered by Be The Match. Um, so absolutely everything. They actually give you a temporary insurance card um, that you're able to use. So there's no cost to you whatsoever. They even, you know, cover your gas, your parking. Wow. And they're, like, very, you know, want you to expense all of it. They really don't want any cost whatsoever to come from you. And that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Really amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just constantly, you know, able to answer all my questions very thoroughly, walk me through everything, send you tons of information to make sure you and your family members and friends are all very comfortable with the process. But, you know, I, I, I took off the day of the surgery, the day after, just to, you know, kind of recuperate. Um, and I was back at work the next day. So within 48 hours, I was back at my job. That's amazing. It's really great. And I think this whole destigmatizing, it's, it, even so far as we had a show like this, I looked at the archives in 2008. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was a little more painful, and there was much more of a stigma around it, and people weren't doing it. The one thing that I found, and this is kind of, I, I talked to Nancy about this a long time ago, is, is there are certain prohibitations to be a match. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, you, I could never swab because I'm damaged goods according to the National Marijuana Program because I was radiated. Mm-hmm. And cancer survivors can't be matches for other people. And have you found that? Is that something that, how do you sort of, or you just send all the swabs to them and they deal with it? Or how do you, what are the guidelines in which you enroll people and how do you screen for that? Yeah, so we actually have, uh, I don't have it off the top of my head, but on, uh, if you go to decent.org slash spit, you can actually see all the information there because we are currently having people sign up um, and actually get signed up for the National Bone Marrow Registry. Um, but, you know, we have all the kind of preconditions listed on the site. And then as you, when you send in um, your, your cotton swabs, um, you also fill out, uh, you know, a packet of information um, with various questions to make sure that you uh, kind of do fit all of their screening, uh, screening requirements. Bonnie? Yeah, that's actually a really interesting question because I technically can't give blood because I grew up in Europe and I've lived in Europe for too many consecutive years and because of mad cow disease and like all these weird things. I can't give blood, but I could sign up for the bone marrow registry. So You can't give blood, but you can give marrow. Yeah. Because mad cow doesn't affect marrow. Some, for <laughs> some reason... So, this is Tony Blair fault, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's very. I was surprised because you know I can't give blood with me. They're like, no, yeah, it doesn't matter. You can, you know, here's this Q-tip. So, is that shaming? Like, hi, I'm European. Can I give blood? <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, wait, you sure you don't want my blood? Right. I've tried to donate blood lots of times, and they're always like, nope, sorry. That's amazing, like the restrictions. But it is weird that damaged goods idea. Yeah. Because I mean, that's what goes back to our origin story here. When we first parted with DKMS and, and, and Be The Match back years and years ago, we had this massive rally, and all these cancer patients came. And they're like, oh, no, you guys can't give. Like, what? Really? We went through all the work to get here. There's no alcohol, and we can't give blood. You know, we can't swab. We can't do anything. So I, I would love to see the, um, 
you know, where's the science fiction? Where's the Gene Roddenberryization of of this this uh, cheek swabbing? Where we can, I would be happy to be on the, on the, the marrow list. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, one of the things that uh, you know, we because they also restrict you have to be over eighteen. Yeah. Um, in order to get swabbed, and a lot of our demographic is under eighteen in high school. Yeah. Um. So you know, a lot of the things that we focus on, um, especially on the site, is if you aren't of age to give, or you know, you don't meet one of their other requirements, um, kind of giving you the tools that you need to get other people involved. Right. Bring a friend. Mm-hmm. Bring a friend. You know, go to your congregation and have people get signed up. You know, right. Go to your, uh, you know, get get your teachers signed up at your school. Whatever it is. Um, right. Yeah, I just want to reinforce. We're talking. Um, with uh, Mike Fantini from Do Something had a product here about the Give a Spit program. Seventy percent of people with blood cancer rely on a complete stranger uh, for a life-saving bone marrow donation. I just read that off the Do Something at slash Spit website. That's fascinating. Seventy percent require this. That most people need the bone marrow or the stem cell transplants. Yeah, and actually, uh, you know, it it is often involved um, with your ethnicity as well. So you know, there definitely are. Uh, a huge need for uh, people, you know, of of all races to to get signed up, because um, actually uh, African Americans are um, one of the least served on the registry. Right. So so, three point two some odd million teenagers ish groups subscribe. Uh, the call to action, I would imagine, are quite staggering. Yeah, yeah. We actually have uh, over two hundred call to action um, up on our site, um, and many of them are around uh, both. You know, helping people who uh, have cancer, um, and also just you know patients in general, um, and prevention as well. Uh, so one of the campaigns I actually really like that we just ha- uh, have up on site is called Mammograms. Um, Mammograms. Mammograms. I love it. I love uh, it. I like my neologisms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you'll you'll love all of our uh, campaign titles then. Um, but uh, but with uh, Mammograms, um, you're actually creating a, a card to get your mom uh, signed up to get a mammogram. Um, and, you know, we kind of give you a template for making a very personalized um, sort of please your mother uh, to, to get her uh, her mammogram check, um, you know, which is great. We also have uh, that just launched recently um, this campaign called Ryan's Playbooks, um, which is actually uh, six million young people or, or children are hospitalized each year. Um, and one of the things that, you know, research shows they really benefit from is having, you know, activities that they can do while they're in their stay. Right. Um, so come, so we Extraction have, therapy. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so we have young people put together these various playbooks and activity books um, to then send to uh, various children's hospitals across the country um, so that, you know, the young people can continue to be entertained um, even during their hospital stay. So I just pulled up the BeTheMatch.org website, and it says here that every four minutes someone is diagnosed with blood cancer. 360 people a day, 15 people an hour, and two-thirds of them are young adults. Mm-hmm. It is the second most common disease in young adults. It's Hodgkin's, non-Hodgkin's, ALL, AML, CML, all the fabulous ABC, CBS, uh, FOX, whatever. Um, but this is really a young adult issue that I'm very excited about, let our audience know about, and you know this idea of what we can do together to partner with. Well, we've already had conversations with your team about I think you had a staff member that passed recently, yeah. mm-hmm. and we're going to try to work with them on getting our mobile app in sync with. I want you to talk more about do something because the one thing that you do again besides mobilizing millions of people on the cell phones, which I'm envious of. Mm-hmm. Actually, Kenny's probably more envious than I am because we want he's an integration fanatic. So that's where we're at. Um, <clears throat> the suicide um, uh, uh, support network that you have over text. Mm-hmm. 
Can you talk about that? Because that's so fascinating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, this uh, is basically uh, an organization that uh, was also founded by uh, org CEO Nancy Lublin, um, and it's called Crisis Text Line, or CTL. Um, and uh, basically, it's taking kind of the normal uh, suicide hotlines, um, but taking it to the medium in which teens use every day, which is text. Uh, you know, nowadays, you know, young people are not calling uh, you know, anyone who has a, uh, you know, a son or daughter out there uh, can definitely verify that. My mom will, will knows that, uh, you know, she checks me and not, uh, not call me, um, <laughs> but uh, to, to her dismay. Um, but, you know, so we really wanted to make sure that young people who, uh, you know, needed to get, you know, put in touch with someone, talk to someone, whether it's, you know, because they're suffering from bullying, um, you know, they've had, uh, you know, domestic or dating abuse. Um, you know, whatever it sort of is that uh, is kind of inflicting them pain, um, you know, whether it's, you know, psychological or physical, but they do have someone easily accessible to reach out to. Um, and so Crisis Text Line is actually the nation's first um, 24-7 uh, hotline for young people to reach out to, and they get put in touch with um, a, uh, you know, a specialist within their area to kind of continue the conversation with them over their preferred medium, which is text. Right, and I was told, again, to even boost the morale of the do-somethingers, is that the folks who were trained on staff have actually become as effective, not more, than the professionals themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so so we have tons of volunteers. Uh, many of them are staff members, uh, do-something staff members, um, who, uh, yeah, do help kind of, you know, facilitate the conversations um, so that, you know, no young person has to wait too long before actually getting a response and, you know, being, uh, you know, f- feeling validated that they're, that they are having the conversation. Because uh, that's one of the biggest uh, issues is, you know, kind of that wait time. If someone reaches out, you know, they need an immediate response time. Otherwise, you know, they feel like if a uh, text line can even get back to them within a certain amount of time, then, right. you know, who will? Right, because who's going to pick up a phone if you're 14, mm-hmm. right? Am I, uh, am, is that, am I casting a, a, a net on that, or like teens really don't pick up the phone anymore? No, yeah, uh, teens, uh, 20-somethings probably too. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, and, you know, with, with Do Something, um, we are actually texting with, of our 3.2 million young people um, who interact with us, over 2 million of those are actually via text. Um, so we have a lot of our campaigns where you can actually complete the campaign from start to finish just by texting over your mobile phone. That's incredible. Um, yeah, yeah, you can you know, text in photos of you and your friends. You know, taking the action, we give you the step-by-step tips, um, and, you know, it's all directly on your phone. That's just blows my mind. No, no smartphone required if, you know, if you don't have that yet. Um, but, yeah. Nokia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it works exactly. in Africa, yeah, right? while, while you're playing Snake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Very nice. No, the, 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 with great power comes great responsibility. I can imagine the big red button somewhere on some server, like blast everybody, 3 yeah, million yeah, people. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, we had two keys for, uh, for that. <laughs> <laughs> the nuclear launch yeah, codes, exactly. exactly. So let's, let's finish up the segment here by talking about, again, I want to go back to these myths and, and stigmas and you know, how maybe we can sort of measure that and work together on that. Because I, I would love to figure out Who's going to say no to this and why, and how do we address that? Because I'm always looking at the finish line. The finish line is this is a proven science. This saves lives. You can actually meet the person whose life you've saved. Yeah, and if you have you done that? Yes. Yeah, so have not met yet. Um, but the so, so the way that it works is actually for the first year, um, you can have anonymous communication uh, okay. with each other. Um, so shortly after I gave my donation, um, you know, basically I had to send any communication to be the match who then forwarded it along to the young person. Um, and so, you know, shortly after I given that donation, uh, I was like, okay, you know, what would I do if I was 10 years old, 11 years old, and, you know, just sitting around, 
you know, need some sort of form of entertainment. Um, so I actually purchased a uh, temporary tattoo book because I figured, you know, what better way to pass time than have 100 temporary tattoos. <laughs> um, so I hope mom and dad appreciated that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, sent that along with a note. You know, we went back and forth for a little while. And then actually um, just right before Thanksgiving, um, I actually had, you know, for the first time received um, an email from, uh, from the mom um, you know, and, and was able to kind of get in touch, um, you know, like directly in touch, um, not through third party means. Um, that must and, have been very gratifying. Oh, it was amazing. I actually, uh, I, I didn't, I got it the Tuesday before Thanksgiving and I didn't tell really anyone, um, until Thanksgiving. Wow. Um, so I actually like passed around, uh, or read the email aloud, uh, to my family. Um, you know, my mom, she, I mean, she cries when she sees me. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> just in general. Yeah, 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 yeah. On like a Tuesday. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, she was, uh, you know, very waterworks, uh, uh, at that occasion. Um, and yeah, and you know, the, he's, uh, so, so he's 11 years or he's 12 years old now. Um, and, uh, his nickname is bug, uh, which is just, you know, I mean that like made me cry when I first read it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he's in Tennessee and he's a huge fisher. Um, you know, loves uh, playing baseball and just, you know, completely normal kid. Um, and it's just so great for uh, for him and his family that, uh, you know, I'm just so grateful that I was able to help them out. That's our campaign. That's our partnership. We'll find the folks who benefited mm-hmm. from the matches and you find the po- people that gave. And then we can even find the people that did, you know, yeah, that yeah. each other. That's the story. Yeah, no, and we, I don't think that's ever been done before either. Yeah, no, we uh, we had had one uh, participant um, who we were actually able to uh, surprise her um, with uh, a reunion, uh, or I guess a first union, first date. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> first date. Um, and uh, and yeah, and that, that was a really magical moment um, that that we were able to supply. And uh, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to the day that uh, that I am able to to meet Hunter and his family. That's, that's just amazing. Was he U.S. born? Like yeah. in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Do they match across the continents or like, you know? That I'm not sure. But okay. I think it's just a national program. I'm pretty sure. So I just, again, was looking for the Be the Match, and you brought this up earlier, that uh, racial disparity matters, mm-hmm. and that oftentimes Caucasians will not match with a, Hispa- a Hispanic or an African-American or even a Native American or Asian, South Asian. Mm-hmm. So are you, uh, I mean, three and a half million people, I'm sure statistically you have a lot of those ethnic groups in there, you do specific outreach to them as well? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we definitely do very targeted outreach. Um, and actually, one of the things that uh, we've noticed is that um, our SMS communications, our most engaged members, actually over-index um, for more diverse communities. Um, so really being able to get the word out uh, via SMS and interact with people via SMS, not just, you know, push notification, but actually being able to have a conversation via text, um, especially in those communities, um, has been extremely beneficial and helps us get even more young people signed up um, from those de- uh, various messages. Right. Again, just reading from Be The Match's website, members with these backgrounds are especially needed today. Black and African American, American Indian, Alaskan Native, Asian, South Asian, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, Hispanic, Latino, or multiple race. Mm-hmm. And we're living in an age where everyone is part of everything yeah, yeah, most yeah. of the time. You know, And what does that look like? And I'm sure the science and genomics are just blowing up. To right, those things right, out. right. Just constantly getting harder but. Yeah, you know, I mean, we really think that, you know, the more and more people that get involved, um, you know, obviously the better it is. And, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the things that, you know, we really want to preach is, you know, yes, there is that sort of drop off um, and, you know, kind of demystifying that stigma if you actually are selected. Um, But, you know, the first step is just getting signed up. Um, And, you know, again, there's like it's a five minute process. 
Um, so there's really no need not to get signed up. Even if you get signed up and you're not beholden to it, you know, you can always say that you don't want to give the donation if you are selected as a match. Right. Um, but I, I just, you know, knowing the experience or having gone through the experience of being able to help someone, um, you know, just seeing, you know, via the various communications I've had with the family, just how much it has meant to them, obviously, um, to be able to receive that donation. Um, and again, you know, like we mentioned before, 70% of people um, who do uh, have various types of blood cancer um, actually do need to go um, to the, the national registry and get a donation from a stranger. So it's, you know, it's really something that, uh, that all these individuals really need. Um, we have a running joke within our this black humor joke within our organization because you can be matched and have a marrow transplant from someone from the opposite sex mm-hmm. or someone from a different uh, race. So you could have, you know, the blood of a female, but a male. And then that, that kind of ruins everything, and you have to get anything tested or whatever. And we, we've had funny stories on the show about that, like even siblings that match. You know, a sibling will donate to a sibling, but then they'll be identical twins right, without right. of different sexes or whatever. And it, it's it's a fascinating, you know, sort of byproduct of success. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the science behind it is, yeah, you know, way way above my uh, you know B in AP biology, but, uh, <laughs> but but yeah, yeah. Mal, have you ever gotten a uh, swabbed? I have not. How could I get swapped? I guess is the real question. He bought kits right now. They're on the floor. We can just get all we want tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you just talk a little into the microphone, it actually, uh, I'm going to be able to get something. Um, but yeah, if you just go to do something.org slash spit, um, you can get signed up right there and uh, we'll hook you up with, you know, kind of all the tools that you need um, and actually uh, the ability to get a kit um, sent to you um, so that you can just, you know, swab and send it right back. Yeah, and if cirrhosis, gout, and stupid aren't barriers, Kenny would be happy to swab as well. Have you ever swabbed, Kenny? I'm going to swab you in the face. <laughs> I'm going to go with no. Yeah, I'm going to get him on board. Yeah, and, you know, I've actually heard, you know, all types of events um, having, uh, you know, swabbing events that, you know, aren't even related to uh, swabbing itself. So we obviously had it at our um, our holiday party uh, last year, which is how Ani got signed up. Um, but I've had friends who've had it at weddings, at, you know, graduation parties, um, really, any gathering of people is a great excuse to except our work. conference, which is 600 cancer survivors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the only that. place on earth that this wouldn't work is at our conferences. Take it out of the conference and give it to someone on the street. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Mike Fantini. To have a product that do something in the Give a Spit campaign at do something dot org slash spit. Thanks for joining us, Ani. Thanks for joining us, Mike Saperstein. Any final comments, my friend? No, I enjoyed it. Did, did we bowl a 300 tonight? You did. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> with the worst closing ever to a show? <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, with that, it is now time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. <laughs> That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. Our strange and 33rd broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Talk to you sick. Uh, cancer. I'd like to thank our guests, Mike Safferstein and Mike Fantini from DoSomething.org. Next week's show is season 15 broadcast finale. We are profiling Fox's Red Band Society, a series that follows a group of teens in the pediatric ward of a Los Angeles hospital. Joining us, we are welcoming executive producer Margaret Nagel and stars Wilson Cruz and Nolan Satillo. Survivor Spotlight on Keith Walker. 
Subscribe to our show anytime on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. And check us out anytime online at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of myself and the stupid cancer team here, Penny Kane, Mallory Rivera, and Sean Shapiro, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next Monday again for our season 15 finale live at 8 p.m. Good night, folks. Have a great week. Hey, yo, we got a reason. We're in a sense for this. We strive because not everything.